We're certainly not alone when it comes to this trait, but there are a few things that people in this country love to talk about more than the weather. And there are a few things that unite us as much as surviving bad weather. For example, it's been particularly cold in Alberta the past few days. It snowed in Victoria last night. You would have thought the whole place was about to fall apart. Uh, but there was snow on the ground when we woke up this morning in Victoria, which is a rare event indeed. Vancouver, too, I believe, got some snow. Weather, in many ways, is something that we share, and therefore we talk about it as if we shared it. So whether it was the moving or the slow-moving destruction of the Red River floods in Manitoba, the devastating beauty of the ice storm in Quebec, Ontario, and northern northern U.S. back in 1998, the power of Hurricane Juan in the Maritimes, or Fiona just last month for that matter, the speed of the Fort McMurray fires, Canada remembers where they were when some of these events took place. And if you were there... I'm sure these are events you will never forget. The one that stands out to me, of course, because I wasn't working at the time in journalism, I think I was studying journalism at the time, was the 1998 ice storm, uh, because I was living in Montreal at the time. Here's a reminder of what that was like. No matter how hard they try, hydro crews can't keep up. All day, the branches have been surrendering, knocking power lines dead. 2,000 workers from Quebec and another 1,000 from Ontario and the U.S. have been working around the clock. It is absolutely the worst we have seen. More than a million homes and businesses are in the dark and in the cold. That was Colleen Thorpe, an old Global News colleague of mine, uh, back in 1998 reporting on the ice storm. The devastation that that storm uh left behind in Quebec and in many areas, just on the trees, on the landscape, was was unbelievable. And as I was saying it off the top of the show, what was perhaps most surprising about it was just how beautiful it was. Uh, Montreal, it was so pretty through it all. And yet the sounds, you remember the sounds of trees breaking, of branches breaking, of things crumbling. It was an eerie, eerie, eerie storm. I remember it. And I'll remember it forever. I think anyone who lived through it will remember it vividly. Well, my next guest was there for that one, um, and he spent a quarter century covering the most notable weather events in this country, um, trying to provide both useful information about what was happening, but also context to the sudden and often dangerous shift in the natural world around us. Now, Chris St. Clair has compiled some of those most important weather events in recent Canadian history into a new book called Weather Permitting, 25 Years of Ice Storms, Hurricanes, Wildfires, and extreme climate change in Canada. And the longtime Weather Network host joins me now. Chris, thank you so much. Oh, Ben, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You had so many stories. It was a fascinating read because I remember so many of them. I covered a few of them, not nearly Uh as many as you had, but I'd covered a few. What made you decide it was time to sit down and try and sort of think about all those, all the many weather events that you had seen over the years? Well, you know, when you talk about the beauty of the ice storm in Montreal, that I mean, that was um, that that particular storm was pivotal in my mind in in realizing that something bigger than just the weather was at play, and it, certainly that was climate change, and these were signs of it. But like you said, it was so beautiful the way um, you know it it was it was haunting at first, like on the report that you had, because the trees kept breaking and the branches and the power kept going out and the and the freezing rain 
rain never stopped. It just kept raining. And when it wasn't raining, it was drizzling and the ice kept growing on everything. And then finally, when it all stopped and the sun came out, everything looked like it was made of glass and crystal. And it was absolutely beautiful. Um, so it was when I when I decided that I would leave the Weather Network uh, last year, uh, I was approached to to by um by my literary agent and said you let we should you should collect a lot of your thoughts and your notes and and maybe think about putting this down in in some form of a narrative about what 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 has happened with our weather in the past quarter century and and what's happening to it today and where is it going and and what's it all about and how do we as human beings uh, make sense of it and and somehow position ourselves so that as our climate changes we'll be well versed to weather that storm uh, as it were yeah because one of the things I found really interesting about the book having remembered a lot of uh, a lot of the events just from either covering them or reading about them or seeing them on TV as one does was um, some of the explanations you provide and I always thought that was very I, you know I honestly I, having grown up in Montreal I'm ashamed to admit I didn't know what the definition of a blizzard was until I read yeah. your book I'm, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you learned from it. You know, when I started do, working at the Weather Night, it was in uh, it was I, my, my first shift was on the eve of the referendum in 1995, right. uh, and, and I was coming in to do my work, and and I was thinking about um, our country as I as I drove. I live in Kingston, so it's 300 kilometers to Montreal. So I was driving. Um, that drive that weekend and there were banners hung on the highway um, urging Quebec to stay uh, as part of the union and, and our country. Uh, and, and it got me thinking about our country and what connects us and what keeps us together. And, and it's, it's the thing that we, we enjoy, but don't thoroughly understand, which is the weather. And I decided at that point that the way I would do my weather presentations, my style would be, I would speak for the weather and, and make sure that every time you came to get a forecast, you would learn something about the weather. Why is it windy today? And so I always enjoyed that. That was kind of my signature, I think. And, and, um, and a lot of people picked up on it, and I'm glad they did. How did you go about selecting? Um, because when I looked through it, some of the, some of the some of the weather events are ones that everyone will recognize. They're ones that were simply, you know, they were huge. There were other ones that were lesser so, though. There were ones that were more, I think, personal. Uh, for you, I'm thinking of like the the bridge of PEI was was one that felt felt like a more of a just it, it been something been something that really stood out to you, both as a reporter, but also there was something special about the way the story was told. It was, you know, the th- the thing, the PEI story is is really interesting uh, because the bridge uh, to Prince Edward Island uh, represents um, something. I mean, when, to put that bridge in, they actually had a referendum in Prince Edward Island uh, on whether or not they wanted to actually be attached to the mainland by this fixed link, or if they wanted to continue with ferry service. And and I love history; it's what I studied at university. Uh, and when you start to take a look at the history of Prince Edward Island and how people got goods and services back and forth to the island 150 years ago all all around like year round um in that very harsh atlantic winter climate it, it became a, a really fascinating study and i happened to be there for one particularly powerful blizzard and even though we had come so far with our technology and, and i think this is kind of interesting uh, you still couldn't get to the island because the weather had closed down this this weatherproof bridge that had only been closed for that length of time a couple of times since it was first constructed so it was that story was kind of personal that way um but it was about um 
you know, the weather is about all of us and, and the temerity that we have to uh, withstand what nature throws at us. And as Canadians, no matter where we're from originally or if we've lived here for generations, um, we, we hold it as sort of a badge of honor that, that this is our weather and, and we thrive in it. Yeah, there was a moment in that uh, Prince Edward Island story where you wander into a Tim Hortons and find a bunch of people delayed on their flights to nicer climes uh, by this awful storm that's closed the Confederation Bridge. And there's that there's that idea that is so Canadian that somehow really bad weather brings out the best in us. It, it does. I mean, those people were all trying to get to their flight in Moncton and, and they weren't going to make it. The bridge was not going to open. They weren't going to be in the Dominican Republic with uh, fancy drinks. And But they were resigned to it's, well, that's what happens here. And yes, they're disappointed. But, you know, they had beautiful beaches there that would they'd be able to swim at in four months and they would go on their holiday next year. But it's, it, And, and in, for Maritimers, and I'm a Maritimer, uh, that's the way it goes there. They, they really roll with it. My, one of my favorite things is uh, in Newfoundland, uh, my grandmother's from Newfoundland, and I talk about it in the story, um, uh, The Rock, in the book. Um, and Newfoundlanders, every time I go there, uh, they will say, to, and you might be there covering a pretty significant storm, but they will always say, as Newfoundlanders do, well, you should have been here for the last one. Uh, and and that's just kind of the way they are. It's, it's just they are very much accepting of it. And if you particularly are from away, uh, they'd like you to know that the weather's been worse than the weather you're seeing right now. Yeah, yeah, it'll be bad tomorrow, but you should have been here in '38. You know that was yeah. always the uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's uh, that's I mean that was always the, the the common refrain, isn't it, from from other generations about just how much worse it was. But uh, there there are there are so many. One of the things, of course, being a former TV reporter myself, is that that moment where you think, oh, we got to be there. And you do yeah. touch on that a lot in the book, too, how a lot of those moments where we need to be there for this story because it's going to be something, um, it's going to be different. And and it's it's funny if you read just a, a chronology of them, each one of them is obvious. But I imagine through the many days and weeks of reporting, um, you know, what made those ones, you must have just after a while known that something was going to be big. You know, um, I worked with a great editor at Simon and Schuster, um, Jeannie Wu, and and, and and Simon and Schuster have been terrific to work with on this project. Um, and because we had a goal for how, how how big the book would be and what's a good size for this book, and and I overrode it because there were so many stories that uh, we wanted to tell, so we had to throw a lot of them out. So perhaps there'll be another book. But for this one, we wanted to try to condense it down to 12 good stories that were representative of the whole country and of, of all different seasons. So that was kind of the thinking on, on the stories that we did. But, um, yeah, when, when you go to – I mean, you've had to go – you know, you say we, we need to be this for, there for this as a reporter. You've done it so many times in your career. Um, and, and it is uh, – I loved going out in the field – uh, being a person who spent most of my time working in the studio, there there was a real um, sense of ad- adventure and and fun about it. 
because you know you would arrive and and you would have to uh, do your research along the way and, and and plan where you needed to be so that you would be in the best position to tell the story and and to find the people that you would need to be a part of your story so i i really enjoyed that process and 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 speaking with you know canadians across the country and and getting their take on and on what this was all about is a, a hugely fulfilling part of my career it is, it is chaos, really. You hear the emergency sirens going, but I need to show you, it, it's not just on the border. This is Fort McMurray burning this afternoon, Donna. Uh, we're right in the thick of it. This is Highway 63, the main corridor, and we're in downtown. We're not far from a fire station, to be honest, and the hospital. But uh, we also saw up the way, this is Highway 63, the fire seems to be burning across the highway. The Fort McMurray fire, the beast, May of 2016, Global News report there. Um, I'm speaking with Chris St. Clair, longtime Weather Network host, now author of the just-released Weather Permitting. Reading through the book, uh, Chris, you know, there's stories you can tell jump off the page for the writer, and one couldn't help but think that for you, that story was Fort McMurray. Yeah, I, I think that in my career, that was... It was a story that changed me uh, as as a person uh, and, and changed the way I thought about uh, people uh, because I had never witnessed uh, in my life such generosity firsthand and and how easy it was for people to help other people and how it, it, it happened without even uh, an ask. It was an unbelievable event, not just for Fort McMurrayites and Albertans, but for Canadians as a whole. There was a whole coming together over this. Yeah, watching it, I mean, I was out here on Vancouver Island and the fundraising, and of course, you know, lots of different parts of the country have connections to Fort McMurray, right? Connections that you don't always recognize. Newfoundland has an incredible connection to Fort McMurray, but a lot of the Maritimes Mm -hmm. does, the West Coast does. And you just saw it all coalesce around what was really perhaps one of the most horrific natural disasters that we had seen, um, in my memory at least. And, and told in real time on social media, I think that's where social media came into its own in in such a way in, in our business. I mean, our the, the broadcast and, and particularly the news gathering um, business has changed so much in the past uh, 10 years. Um, and, and, and you know this from your work, uh, you know, there was a time to cover a news story. You had to have a satellite truck um, and, and, it, and, and, and that's how you had to do it. And um, along came this device called the Digero, which was a suitcase sized uh, thing that you would connect your camera to it and it would use a cell phone signal. Uh, and that enabled smaller broadcasters like the Weather Network to become very mobile and, and start to cover these weather events, which is what we did. And, and, and interestingly now, um, some 10, 12 years after the, that device came along, and now it's just an app on your phone. And anybody in the world who has a social media account can become a citizen reporter. Um, but with Fort McMurray, that mass exodus was captured on, on Twitter and Instagram and, and shared instantly with so many people. And, 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 and suddenly it became, uh, even before, you know, before the news could make it a big event, it became a big event. And that was really interesting about how that um, how that particular uh, tragedy, uh, I think, came to the to the national forefront. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because you could, it was one of the first ones I remember in Canadian history where you could follow it almost as if you were there, 
even if you weren't. So you felt yeah. it felt very intimate, even though you weren't actually. And, and yet the way you describe it, clearly to be there, those moments you describe meeting people, the food, the way people helped each other out was even more poignant than what you watched in terms of just, the, you know, the fleeing. And, and you saw it on TV, but to be there was one was completely different, clearly. It, it was it was such a different feeling. We stayed. I mean, when you if you've been to Fort McMurray, once you drive out of Fort McMurray to, you know, to to get to Edmonton, the next town you come to is almost 100 kilometers away. And it's just a little place called uh, Wandering River. And there's uh, two motels and an A&W and, and, and a gas station. And that's it. And everybody would stop there. When Fort McMurray evacuated, um, about 60% of the population went out on 63, that, that two-lane highway uh, or four-lane highway out of Fort McMurray. But about 20, 30% of the population went north to Fort Mackey and the camps to the north. And when they finally got the fire somewhat contained uh, within the city limits, they were, they were able to draw those people down in convoys. And so a couple of days after the mass exodus, these people started coming through Wandering River, and we were there to talk to them on the way out. And it became this very intimate conversation with people uh, who, who just wanted to let, you know, they, they had left their cell phones behind and left with the clothes on their back, and they wanted to connect uh, w- with their loved ones to let them know they were okay and they were going to make the drive back to Nova Scotia and they didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't, and, and nobody really knew when they could go back home and, and what would be left of their home. And I think those stories, and it was, it was neat to be in the media because there was nothing more to talk about other than those stories uh, for several days. And, and it was this great moment of connection with so many people. And, and I write about it in the book. Uh, yep. Just the, the giving. Chris, I'm just going to Please. We'll come right back to this. Uh, but there's a story behind it. There's a reason you chose all these stories. And, and there's a broader message you were hoping to share as well about all these events and what unites them, not just how Canadians have lived through them. And with very few deaths, by the way, which I was always uh, encouraged to see through those books, that there has been tragedy, but not loss of life, not excessive loss of life. Um, but yeah. there's a message here. Yeah. There- there is, there is. Um, and, and, and it's a very interesting message, and it's one that's been very hard for us to all grapple with, and, and it's climate change. It's the crisis that we find ourselves in now um, that, that has been talked about you know, for a long, long time. David Suzuki's been talking about it since the mid-'70s. Climate scientists have known about it um, for nearly 50 years, uh, 60 years now, that, that they've been aware that this would happen. I mean, if you go back to the first talk about climate change it goes back 100 years our climate has always changed uh it's just it is changing at a rapid rate and and we have a lot to do with it and and it's getting that message out which has been very difficult for everybody in the media uh to do and and so i i think that things are happening at such a rate now and and people have talked about it long enough that there is that we understand it's happening and we're starting to do things about it yeah, because you do end on an optimistic note. Uh, despite all that you've seen, there is something about both the destruction, but also um, the way that the spirit that you saw that you witnessed through that destruction that gave you hope as well in the book. I, I, I think that 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 you know when when we we look at the world that we live in today, and 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 humans are at their best when we have um, direct contact with each other. And unfortunately, in the world that we live in, we're we, we you know we do things by likes and 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 work social media so hard, uh, and it doesn't allow us the time to have those 
connections uh, one-on-one with individuals, and I think something's lacking when that happens. And fortunately and unfortunately at the same time, when we run into these crises uh, with storms and disasters, um, we're forced to have this one-on-one contact. And when we do have this, we help each other. And in helping each other, we make each other stronger. And when, and when people have those actions together, they work well together and they, and they find solutions to common problems and they find them really quickly. We become um, more resourceful than we think we are. And I think that that's the positive in this, in in that we will find our way through it. And, and, Things will be put in front of us that will make us make our decisions uh, much more rapidly than we thought we could. Yeah, because some of the stories you tell, just some of the the incidents where you where people help each other out, are remarkable. I mean, they're remarkable. They're clearly not the kinds of things you see in daily life. And you were privy to some remarkable moments of humanity. And I think back to Fort Mac, but there are many other examples in the book of people helping people out. People love to help other people out. It 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 in in our it's in our DNA um, to want to feel good and, and nothing makes you feel better than when you lift somebody else up. Um, And I've seen it in, in, in places where there's great disparities uh, in in wealth and, and yet people, you know, will help each other. Um, Fort McMurray was the most glaring example of it for me, but even, you know, I've been in hurricanes in in Newfoundland where, where the, they're not a big deal for them. And, and Newfoundlanders were the people that helped everybody um, who was flying on 9-11. Um, so they have this spirit of helping, but they help each other too. Um, you know, a tree falls down and all the neighbors will come and, and move the tree. It's just, it's in the spirit of them, but it's in the spirit of all of us. Yeah, part of living in uh, in a hostile climate, so to speak. Uh, this is always, when you when you put the final you know, the, the final period in a book, I suppose you want people to walk away thinking about something. What would you like people to walk away thinking about when they've read Weather Permitting? Sure. I, I would like them people to, to realize, and we all do realize, that these, these events are happening more frequently and climate change is real. Um, and there are solutions. They're not as hard as we think they are. We just need to, to be uh, a little more giving towards each other and willing to do those things. But, um, you know, you can't stop Mother Nature. Our, our planet and our ecosystem is a fragile but wonderfully massive thing that is much bigger than all of us. Yeah, and you've certainly seen it at its um, at its most violent, right? Which is always a reminder. And, and the fact that you're right, just reading through the book, the frequency that these storms, th- these odd weather events happen, these extreme weather events, we could call them, uh, certainly can't be ignored. No, it, it certainly can't. You know, and for the longest, and I'll just take one, one minute to make this one little point. You know, people say, well, um, meteorologists know about, uh, you know, meteorologists have for a long time have been not, not wanting to say any particular event, a singular event, was climate change. And climatologists who study climate over long periods of time um, link all those events together. And, and as journalists, um, I, the trouble that we ran into in explaining climate change for so many years was uh, this this cause and effect. And, and, and I think it's been pretty clearly illustrated now that the cause and effect is there. Um, and it was it was the difficulty that we had in presenting this story, which is a very difficult story to present. But I think people get it now and and totally understand what's at stake. 
Well, Chris St. Clair, I really appreciate your time tonight. Congratulations on putting it all down on paper. I know it's hard to leave some of uh, some of it on the editing room floor, as we well know. And yeah, thanks, thanks so much for your time tonight. It's been fascinating. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.